0: Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Lowell Amos. But first, your true crime headlines. Last week, attorney Kathleen Zellner announced that an anonymous person has offered a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the real killer of Teresa Halbach, whose murder was the subject of the Netflix documentary series Making a Murderer. Zellner, who specializes in wrongful convictions, was heavily featured in the documentary as an attorney for Stephen Avery, who was convicted along with his nephew Brian Dassey in Halbeck's murder. Both men have maintained their innocence in the case. Zellner stated that the reward is being offered for credible corroborated evidence in the case and she is hopeful that the $100,000 will be enough to convince someone to come forward. She further stated that she feels confident in Avery's upcoming appellate brief, which is scheduled to be filed in October and contains numerous examples of prosecutorial misconduct, ineffective assistance of Avery's trial counsel, and a third-party theory as to who had motive, opportunity, and a direct link to the crime other than Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey. Zellner expressed confidence in the strength of their appellate brief and stated that she views the reward offer as the icing on the cake, but not essential to proving her client's innocence. A Central Florida high school student is behind bars after allegedly stealing her parents' debit card and attempting to use the money to hire a hitman to have them killed. 17-year-old Alyssa Hatcher was arrested last week and charged with two counts of criminal solicitation of murder. Investigators learned of the plot after some of the teenager's classmates overheard her discussing her plan at school and reported her to a school resource officer. According to her arrest affidavit, Hatcher admitted to the plan when she was interviewed by police, telling them that she had stolen her parents' debit card and used it to make two separate withdrawals, totaling nearly $1,500. She told police that she spent $100 to buy cocaine for herself and used the rest of the money to attempt to hire two separate individuals to carry out the murder-for-hire plot, neither of whom followed through. After being notified of her plans, Hatcher's parents told authorities that they want their daughter to be prosecuted for the charges. The parents' names have not been released, nor has a motive for their daughter's crime. Hatcher was arrested and is now in the custody of Florida's Department of Juvenile Justice. It is unknown if she will be tried as an adult in the case. A 75-year-old Ohio man was arrested last week and will face charges in two cold cases dating back nearly five decades. Police credit, new technology, a fresh set of eyes, and great, great detective work in identifying their suspect, Gustav Safaris. Safaris is facing eight counts, including murder, aggravated murder, maiming or disfiguring, kidnapping and attempted rape. The charges stem from the 1970 murder of 18-year-old Karen Bents and the 1975 murder of 20-year-old Loretta Jean Davis. In both cases, the women were abducted and tortured and their bodies were found dumped along the side of the road. Gustav Safaras was previously convicted of rape and served time in prison in the late 70s. He stood trial in 2018 for the murder of Bonita Parker, a 21-year-old Ohio woman who was found stabbed to death in 1991. Though Safaris' DNA was found on her body, his attorneys argued that he had met Parker, a known prostitute, but there was no evidence that he had killed her. A jury agreed, and he was acquitted in that case. Gustav Safaris is being held in the Summit County Jail as he awaits arraignment. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Lowell Amos. But first, a quick break. What if you could use just one app for all of your health and weight loss needs? Noom has you covered. No more hunting for training apps, no more crash fad diets, calorie counters Noom is like a nutritionist and a personal trainer all in one app this is not another diet Noom knows that getting in shape isn't one size fits all this app isn't about bad foods and good foods Noom is a habit-changing solution based on a cognitive-behavioral approach that teaches us why we do the things that we do and arms us with the tools necessary to break our bad habits, meet our personal health and fitness goals, and stick to them for the long haul. It's easy. Just commit to 10 minutes a day, and if you go off track, don't sweat it. Your goal specialist in the Noom community will support you and help you get back on track. Small Steps, Make big progress. I just opened my Noom app, and it told me that I took 997 small steps today. That's mostly pacing, but it still counts. Take your first step now, and sign up for your trial today at noom.com/mm. That's n-o-o-m.com/mm. Ladies, gentlemen, you can step out for a moment. Ladies, if your cup is only half full, then you're probably wearing the wrong bra size. Third Love is here to support you. Stop adjusting your bra straps enough with the underwire cutting into your flesh. Third Love has more than 80 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. And their online Fit Finder quiz guarantees a perfect fit. That's because 3rd Love knows that it's not just size that counts, it's shape. Their online quiz helps you identify your true size and shape and matches you with the styles that are your perfect fit. My shape is the plunge. And this is the most comfortable, best-fitting bra I have ever owned. No more slipping straps, no more itchy labels, and no more painful underwires. 3rd Love uses lightweight, super-thin memory foam that molds to your shape. 3rd Love are so sure that you'll love this bra that they offer 60-day return. Wear it, wash it, put your bra to the test. And if you don't love 3rd Love, return it free, and 3rd Love will wash it, and give it to a woman in need. For 15% off your first order, visit thirdlove.com minute. That's 15% off at t-h-i-r-d-l-o-v-e slash minute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the story... Of Lowell Amos. On December tenth, nineteen ninety-four, Lowell and Roberta Amos attended a company Christmas party at the Athenaeum Hotel in Detroit. After socializing with business colleagues into the early morning hours, the Amoses finally retired to their room around four or four thirty a.m. Four hours later. Lowell Amos called Bert Crabtree, a colleague staying at the hotel. Lowell was in a panic and asked Crabtree to come to his room. Crabtree called another colleague, Daniel Porcasi, and at 9.30 a.m., Crabtree and Porcasi went to the couple's room. Roberta was dead. Lowell told his co-workers that it was an accident, that he and his wife had been using cocaine, and that Roberta had overdosed. Lowell, afraid that the police would charge him with drug possession, told them that he needed to clean up the room before calling the police. He asked Porcosi to take his sport coat for him. The two men returned to their rooms packed their belongings, and quickly checked out of the hotel. As Daniel Porkazi drove home that morning, he noticed that something was in the breast pocket of Lowell's coat. He looked inside and found a small black leather case. In the case was a syringe without a needle and a foul-smelling washcloth. At approximately 10 a.m., Lowell Amos called the front desk of the hotel. A hotel security officer came up to his room. When he saw Roberta Amos lying dead on the bed, he called the police. In his initial statement, Lowell told investigators that he and his wife had engaged in sexual acts involving cocaine. Lowell said that he had snorted the drug, while his wife, who suffered from sinus problems, had inserted it into her anus and her vagina. Lowell said that he then fell asleep, and when he awoke in the morning, his wife was dead. Lowell admitted to police that before he called security, he panicked and disposed of the drugs. Investigators released Lowell Amos, and Roberta's body was bagged and sent to be autopsied. Later that day, Lowell Amos returned to the hotel. He wanted to retrieve some valuables that he and his wife had stored in the hotel safe. As security officer Stanley Kahn handed Roberta's jewelry to Lowell Amos, he looked at his deceased wife's Rolex watch and remarked, This is the bulk of the money. That evening, Lowell drove to Bert Crabtree's house. The two of them then drove to Porcassi's home so that Lowell Amos could retrieve his sport coat. Its contents later went missing. Roberta Amos' autopsy revealed that her blood cocaine level was 3.7, over 14 times the lethal dose of the drug. The chief medical examiner concluded that Roberta died of acute cocaine poisoning very shortly after it was introduced and that as of 11 a.m. that morning, she would have been dead for between four and eight hours. He further suggested that someone other than the victim had likely introduced the cocaine into her system. There were no needle marks on her body and no evidence of prior drug use. Phyllis Good, a state police forensic chemist, added to investigators' suspicions when she found trace amounts of cocaine in Roberta's vagina, but none externally and none in her rectum, contrary to Lowell Amos's account. The bedsheet from the hotel room was covered in cocaine residue, particularly in the location where Roberta's body lay. Phyllis Good concluded that a syringe without a needle may have been used to inject a concentrated liquid cocaine solution into Roberta Amos's throat or vagina, and that there had been a subsequent attempt to clean up the body after the fact. Police had already suspected that Lowell Amos had washed Roberta's body before their arrival. Lipstick and other makeup residue was found on her pillowcase, but Roberta's face was clean. Upon further questioning, Lowell Amos stuck to his story. He denied murdering his wife and insisted that she had administered the cocaine to herself vaginally. He added that he had attempted to clean the room of cocaine residue and threw away the syringe because he didn't want to be charged with cocaine possession. Investigators weren't convinced. They lacked enough concrete evidence to bring charges against Lowell Amos, so they began surveillance. Within 48 hours of his wife's death, Lowell Amos spent over $1,000 on dinner and drinks with two women, who he proceeded to have sex with. After the story of Roberta Amos' death made the news, several women came forward. They told investigators that they believed that they had been drugged by Lowell before having sex. As investigators looked into Lowell Amos's history, they discovered that Roberta was his third wife. But Lowell Amos had never been divorced. Lowell Amos had become a widower twice before. In 1979, Lowell's first wife, Sandra, was found dead in her bathroom at age 36. Lowell's statement to police was that Sandra had mixed wine with a sedative, collapsed, and hit her head. The cause of death was ruled undetermined, and Lowell Amos received an insurance payout of $350,000. Shortly after Sandra's death, Lowell married his longtime mistress, Carolyn. According to friends, Lowell and Carolyn argued frequently. Carolyn discovered that Lowell had taken out large insurance policies on her life. When he refused to cancel the policies, Carolyn threw him out of the house. Lowell moved in with his mother. A few weeks later, she was rushed to the hospital, unresponsive. No diagnosis was found, and she was released. A few days later, she died. At 76 years old, no autopsy was performed. Her cause of death was presumed to be from natural causes. Lowell Amos inherited more than $1 million. He called Carolyn and informed her that his mother had died. When Carolyn arrived at the house, Lowell was throwing his belongings into the car, saying that he didn't want people to know that he had been living with his mother. Carolyn invited Lowell to move back in with her. Nine months later, Lowell's second wife was found dead in her bathroom. Lowell's statement to police was that he had taken Carolyn a glass of wine while she was blow-drying her hair in the bathroom. The tub was full of water. Later, he found her dead in the bath, apparently electrocuted. Strangely, the wine glass that Lowell claimed to have brought Carolyn was not in the bathroom. It was in the kitchen, rinsed clean, and in the dishwasher. Lowell Amos received $800,000 from the insurance policies that Carolyn had kicked him out of the house over. Lowell Amos was arrested for the murder of his third wife, Roberta, two years after her death, when a 1994 change in Michigan law made it possible for the prosecution to enter details of previous incidents into evidence. Ruth Loftus, an acquaintance of Lowell Amos's, testified that she met with Lowell in August of 1991 in Indianapolis and that he confessed to her that he had killed his first wife. Prosecutors admitted that this time, Lowell had no financial motive for killing Roberta, as he had for his previous wives and his mother. They argued that this time, it was because Roberta was leaving him. Roberta had already purchased a separate house, She had told friends and family that she wanted Lowell out of her life. The prosecution's theory was that Lowell Amos murdered his third wife because he couldn't stand the rejection. First, they said, he gave her a glass of wine with two crushed sedatives. After she passed out, he then used a syringe to inject a mixture of cocaine and water into her vagina. Finally, when she began to convulse, he smothered her with a pillow. On October 24, 1996, Lowell Amos was found guilty of premeditated murder and murder using a toxic substance. And on November 4, 1996, He was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Lowell Amos was never charged for the deaths of his first wife Sandra, his mother, or his second wife Carolyn. He is currently serving his sentence at the Muskegon Correctional Facility in Michigan. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.